So the purpose of this series has been to ask you to help you take a step towards God. We've looked at things like uh, evidence for creation, for Jesus, the Bible, for God. Last week we talked about uh, pain and, and suffering, injustice in the world, and how Christianity has the only valid response to that. Other religions uh, don't, and even atheism says that that pain and injustice is just an illusion. It's just something that you make up in your mind because every person is just dancing to the uh, music of their own DNA. Uh, so there's really no accountability there. What we have said as Christians is bring your science, bring your questions, bring your skepticism. We're not afraid of, of questions. God's not afraid. We're not either. We like questions because it keeps us on our toes and keeps us searching for answers. Whether you've been here for the whole series or not, I'm going to ask you to do something that might seem a little offensive, but it's not intended to be offensive. Here's what it is. I'm going to ask you, would you be honest with yourself today? Um, I'm not asking you to be honest with your, your spouse or your siblings or whoever asked you to come to church today. I'm asking you to be honest with yourself because here's the deal. Self-deception always leads in a bad direction. Have you noticed that? When we're not honest with ourselves, it always leads us to make bad decisions. Think back to when you were a kid. How would your growing up years have been different if your mom or your dad or some person who was very influential in your life had been honest with themselves and hadn't run from their pain or hadn't medicated their pain through drugs or alcohol or something? something like that. Your life could have been very different if somebody else had been honest with themselves. Um, some of your parents, some of you would still be married if one or both of you had been honest with yourself at some point and made some adjustments along the way. Now, the reason this is a big deal is, is because if you're not honest, you can't ever get where you need to be. And so what I'm going to do is I'm going to give you a couple of quotes, uh, one quote from an atheist, two quotes from Christians, and then we're going to jump into this whole thing for the last um, message of our series. So this first one is Thomas Nagel, and this is one of the most refreshingly honest. I don't agree with what he says, but it's an honest um, uh, statement from an atheist. It isn't just that I don't believe in God and naturally hope that I'm right in my belief. It's that I hope there is no God. I don't want there to be a God. I don't want a universe like that. Now, this is honesty uh, like I've never seen from any other atheist I've read or heard. And so here's the deal. There's a huge difference between I don't believe and I don't want to believe. You hear things all the time and you reject them uh, because you don't believe them. Somebody says, I was abducted by aliens. And you start going, do, 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 do. You're like, I, I reject that. I don't believe that. That's different from saying, I don't want to believe something. I don't want to believe something means I have an agenda. I don't want to believe that the New England Patriots won the Super Bowl. I, I don't want to believe that. But when I turned on the TV, Janie and I were driving the whole way, we saw, we saw overtime, and I still don't want to believe it. I don't want to believe that the Dallas Cowboys have won one, uh, one playoff game in each of the last two decades since our last Super Bowl. I don't want to believe that my, that my Texas Rangers started the season four and six. They're a half a game ahead of the last place team in our division, the Mariners. They're playing them. They may be in last place after today. I don't want to believe that. I don't want to believe that the Astros, I mean the Astros, are in first place in our division. I don't want to believe that, but it's true. (laughs) Yeah. You don't want to go there, Justin. Um, you don't want to play that game. Uh, we've been addressing issues in, in this series of why people walked away from church. 
And every time I do our one-on-one class, which is our church membership class, and that's coming up on May 7th is the next one if you're interested in that, I find that uh, people who come to our church have been out of church for 5, 10, sometimes 15 years, and it was because something someone said or something someone did that hurt them or their family. So I've got a couple of questions. Did you walk away from church because of something someone said or something someone did? You're getting a little ahead of me there, bud. Um, did you walk away from church because of something someone said or something someone did? Or, there you go, next slide. Did you walk away from church because faith became inconvenient? This is very, very different. Once faith becomes inconvenient, then people begin to make up reasons why they don't go to church. Their, their decision to not want to go to church came first. The reasons came afterwards. And see, this is a big deal. The, these people don't want to believe and, and, not having enough information is one thing. We welcome questions and we will give you information. We'll, we'll look up stuff. Um, having questions, those, those are unanswered questions. Those are one thing. But this is where it gets very, very personal. If you don't want Christianity to be true, if you don't want to be inconvenienced by faith, no amount of information will do you any good because it's not a mind issue. It's a heart issue. Now... In the 17th century, there was this child prodigy named Blaise Pascal, and you've probably heard of him. You may have. He was this math whiz. He's, he worked on one of the very first calculators way back in the 17th century. Um, he, uh, he also became a theologian later in life. He was a child prodigy, and he wrote some really good stuff. Here's what he says about truth. People almost invariably arrive at their beliefs not on the basis of truth, but on the basis of what they find attractive. Atheists find atheism attractive. That's why they go that direction. And no amount of truth is going to change some of their minds. Some of them will, some of them won't. And see, very few of us are on a truth quest. Very few people wake up every day saying, I need to find truth. I will follow truth. Most people wake up on a happiness quest. Make me happy or I'll find someone who will. That's why the divorce rate is so rampant in our country. It's why the divorce rate in the church is just as high as outside of the church is because we're not worried about holiness, which is what God is worried about. God's interested in your holiness, not your happiness. I double dog dare you to find in scripture where it says that God is concerned about your happiness. He wants to make you look like Jesus. And so people walk away for, for all kinds of different reasons. When it comes to walking away from the church, St. Augustine, another Christian, has it right. I think when he says, we love the truth when it enlightens us, we hate the truth when it convicts us. And I would add to this, we love the truth when it convicts somebody else, especially somebody else who hurt us, but we hate the truth when it convicts us. So when you were a teenager and you were arguing with your parents, were you seeking truth? Were you trying to get to the truth or were you trying to get your way? You're trying to get your way. Not one of you said, Oh, Father, this is what I said. Oh, Father, thank you for enlightening me with the truth. You have made my life better today. Right? No. I wanted to get my way. You did too. When you argue with your spouse, and you know you're dead wrong. Your spouse knows you're dead wrong. Anybody that's around knows you're dead wrong. Do you stop arguing? Yes. No. You keep arguing. Why? Because it's not about the truth. It's about winning. We've heard, we've heard that testimony somewhere sometime. Uh, when, my question today is, is what's wrong with us? If, if we won't look at the truth, if we won't listen to facts, if we won't look at the truth because it might be true, we won't look over here because it might be true. What's wrong with us? Something is going on inside of us. My brother, my oldest brother was a pastor um, for, for a little over a year, maybe two years in, in a little church. 
And um, he was teaching through the Bible and he, he was teaching the truth. And he had a deacon's wife come up to him one Sunday night and say, we don't care what the Bible says. We've always done it this way. We will continue to do it this way. And my brother was like, I'm done. I can't, I can't be pastor here anymore if you don't even care about the truth. Um, I want to suggest that what's in you and what's in me that causes us not to want to listen to the truth might be one of three things. I'm going to tell you six things about if there is a God, six things that, that are on your listening guide. But the first three are reasons why people don't like to look towards God. First one, if there's a God, it means I'm guilty. Can I just tell you that I love being not guilty? When I'm driving around the loop and we see our wonderful officers sitting around with their little guns going, I love it when I'm not speeding because I never speed. And if I happen to be going one or two miles per hour over, because if I was, that's all I would ever go over, ever go over the speed limit. I have this, this feeling, Jack, you, you know this, I have this feeling in the pit of my stomach like, oh no, what's, what's oh no, I'm guilty. And I'm probably going to have to pay a fine. And I can just tell you that, you know, I joke about it all the time, but when, whenever I left my gun in my backpack and tried to get on a plane, it was the worst feeling I've ever had. I wanted to throw up. Because I, I did not intend for that to happen, but I knew, I knew I was guilty. And I also knew I was going to have to pay a really big fine. I paid close to $2,000 by the time all that was done to TSA and, oh my goodness. The point is nobody likes feeling guilty. And so we would rather say there is no God than to admit we're guilty. Sin means I did it on purpose. Sin means I was wrong when I did it. And, and it doesn't make me feel good about myself. In fact, if I do too much sin, I start to feel bad about myself. So I don't want to call it sin. So I'm, I'm, I'm a mistaker. I'm not a sinner. I'm a mistaker. And the idea, well, here's the, here's the definition of, of a mistake. An error in action, calculation, opinion, or judgment caused by poor reasoning. Oh, poor reasoning. I just wasn't thinking right. I'm sorry. My bad. Carelessness. I didn't see that. Mistake, uh, insufficient knowledge. Well, I didn't know any better. So the implication is you can't be too mad at me because it was a mistake. If it gets real heated in one of your arguments or somebody comes down on you too hard. Oh man, it's, it's a mistake. It's just a mistake. You can't be too hard on me because I just made a mistake. If everything I do wrong and everything you do wrong can be dumbed down to a mistake, it means I don't have sin. If I don't have sin, I'm not a, sin, a sinner. If I'm not a sinner, I don't need a savior. A mistaker just has to try harder. A mistaker just has to break some little habit. We just got to be more uh, consistent in the future. But if I'm a sinner, trying harder isn't going to work. If I'm a sinner, I probably owe somebody something. If I'm a sinner, I need a savior. So you might be able to convince me that you're a mistaker, but you know better. When you look in the mirror, when you do some soul searching, you know that it wasn't a mistake. You know it was on purpose. Not only did you do it on purpose, you're hoping you can do it again. You're just hoping you don't get caught. That's something way deeper than a mistake. The Bible calls it sin. Romans 3.23 says this, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. There's that ugly word again. Your biggest sins didn't just hurt you, they hurt others. And you cannot give them back the years you took from them because of your poor choices. We're guilty and people don't like that. And so we'll say, nobody's perfect and that's a great argument if there's no God. 
If there is a God, it means someone is perfect and I don't measure up and you don't either. So people would rather say, I just don't want to believe in God than to admit they're guilty. But it goes deeper. Second thing is, if there's a God, it means I'm accountable. <laughs> I used to tell my sister all the time, you're not the boss of me. Even when she was, even when mom and dad left and she was babysitting me, you're not the boss of me. I'm telling mom. This is the same lie that, that the serpent whispered to Eve in the Garden of Eden, said, you can be in charge. You don't have to answer to anybody. And she, she fell for it and she sinned. She was not accountable to her husband, whom God had told her. God told um, the husband, Adam, don't eat of this tree. He told her. She wasn't accountable to him. She wasn't accountable to God. And so she sinned. See, here's the deal with this. Unaccountable people always make bad decisions. Have you noticed that? When your kids are unaccountable, they tend to make bad decisions. Accountable people make wise decisions. Unaccountable people don't. And then you take two unaccountable people and you put them in a marriage. And what happens? The gates of hell break loose. See, here's the problem. If we admit God, we know we have to submit to God. So some people just won't admit God. Romans 6.23 says this, For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. And then if there is a God, there's a third thing here. It means I'm... What is that word? Only three of you know it. I don't think anybody else in here has ever said that. Let's practice that. I'm wrong. Nobody wants to admit they're wrong. What is it in us that won't let us do that? We know in our minds we're wrong. We know in our hearts we're wrong. We have this pile of wrongness. I know that's not a word, but that's what I typed in here. We have this pile of wrongness. We have all this evidence that we do wrong. And we know there's not a scale anywhere in the universe that is big enough for us to do enough good deeds to overcome our bad deeds. But we won't admit it. Nope, we are not going to admit it. You know what keeps us from admitting it? I don't know why this won't stay on. You know what keeps us from admitting it? Pride. Pride, according to the Bible, always keeps us stuck in the past. Here's what the the Bible says about it. Pride keeps us stuck in the past. Pride goes before destruction, a haughty spirit before a fall. Pride makes you ugly. Pride makes you stuck in the past. The opposite of that is humility. Humility is the way forward. It's always the way forward. Humility makes you look bigger, stronger, more attractive than you are. Humble people are always the most, um, the, the best people to be around. Humble people um, come to CR. Do you know that? Celebrate recovery. Prideful people, I hear this all the time. I don't need CR. Everybody I know needs CR. Because everybody has hurts, habits, and hangups. That's what Celebrate Recovery is for. Is to help you overcome hurts, habits, and hangups. If you say you do not have hurts, habits, and hangups, <laughs> I don't believe you. See, if, if God, I'm guilty, I'm accountable, I'm wrong, so I'm not even going to look at God, la, 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 don't talk to me, don't tell me anything about God. But those aren't reasons against God's existence. Those are reasons why you don't want to hang out with God, why you avoid God. If we had somebody who was guilty of a crime here, and they knew we had a highway patrolman sitting in our service, do you think they would be very comfortable? No, because they're guilty. Guilty people don't want to hang out with God because they they believe I'm guilty. They believe I'm accountable. They believe I'm wrong. But there's more to the story. The real issue for people is their resistance, not God's existence. 
So if you'll say, maybe there is a God, you can move towards this incredible God. And I'm going to tell you more about him in just a second. I have this mower. It's a, it's a gravely mower. I love this thing. I call it the beast. Um, it will, it goes 13 miles an hour. You can't mow like that because you will, you will kill everything. Um, but it came with an owner's manual and with a maintenance schedule. And I got the maintenance schedule from the dealership that I bought it from. They work on them all the time. Now I could say, I don't believe that maintenance schedule. I don't believe that owner's manual. They don't know what they're talking about. If I ignore those things, what happens to my commercial mower? It's not as effective and its lifespan is reduced. If you ignore God and say, I just don't even want to look at the possibility of God, your lifespan will probably be reduced and I guarantee your effectiveness will be reduced because you don't believe in the God who created you. But there's good news. Those first three accountable. Uh, I'm guilty. I'm accountable. I'm wrong. There's three more things that correspond to those. If Jesus was right about God, then if God, there's forgiveness. I'm guilty. I need forgiveness. The Bible says your sins can be wiped away. Romans 5, 8 says, but God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. We talked about this last week. Why didn't God act like a grandfather in heaven say, oh, it's okay. Well, it has to do with the next one. If there's God, if there's a God, there's relationship. And if there is relationship, that means when I rebel, it breaks the relationship. The cool thing, though, is if I'm accountable to someone, the one to whom I'm accountable loves me enough to send his son to die in my place. See, when my kids rebel, the relationship is broken. If the relationship is going to continue, two things are necessary. Number one is forgiveness. But forgiveness can go one way. You can forgive someone and never, ever be in relationship with them again. If you're going to be in relationship, a second thing is required. It's called reconciliation. Reconciliation, you can't reconcile with one person. It takes two. It goes both directions. And the Bible says that God wants to reconcile with us. 2 Corinthians 5, 18 and 19. All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. I don't want to believe in a God who wants to reconcile. That just seems foolish to me. God has offered to forgive you. He's offered to be in relationship with you. But it takes two people to be in relationship. So you've got to do something. He paid the way. He made it possible, but you have to accept that gift. If you refuse that gift in this life, you choose hell. God doesn't send people to hell. You choose hell because you refuse to be reconciled to God. That is an attitude of sin and God quarantines it in hell forever. It's people's choice, not God's. So if there's a God, there's one more thing. If I'm guilty, I'm accountable. If I'm wrong, (laughs) that means that there's truth. If there's God, if the God of Jesus is right, there's truth. That means there's a basis for moral law, a basis for justice, a basis for human dignity that you don't get anywhere else. You certainly don't get it in atheism who say there is no value of anyone. So if the question is who wants God, every person, according to scripture, every person at some point in their life says, not me. That's what sin is about. Who wants God? Not me. I'm going to do my own thing. But the question is, who needs God? And according to the Bible, everyone. Ignoring him seems foolish. The Bible says, the fool says in his heart, there is no God. Jesus had siblings, did you know that? 
One of them's named James, and he wrote a book in the Bible called James because they weren't very creative in, in naming books. But his siblings thought he was nuts. This is documented in Scripture. They thought he was crazy. They wanted him to quit teaching and quit doing things because they thought he was crazy. What made James, his half-brother, become a follower of Jesus? The resurrection. He watched him die. I'm sure the family mourned. And when Jesus rose from the dead, his siblings became followers of Jesus. This makes me laugh. I'm sorry. Because what would it require for your brother to convince you that he's the son of God? I got two brothers. They're not the son of God. They will tell you, Doug's not the son of God. No, no. You know what it took to convince James that his brother was the son of God? He rose from the dead and he saw him alive. In AD 62, James was killed because he followed his brother and said, my brother is the Messiah. All he had to do was reject him, say, no, he's not. But he refused because he saw him alive. And he wrote a book called James and the first century church loved this book and they copied it thousands and thousands of times. I want you to see what, what the brother of Jesus said after the resurrection about God. He says, come near to God and he will come near to you. That's one of the coolest things ever. There's, there's not another God in another religion who says, come near to me and I will move towards you. You make a baby step towards me and I will move towards you. Then he says, wash your hands, you mistakers. Is that what it says? Sinners. See, in the language of the day, this meant admit your sins. Admit that it wasn't a mistake. Admit you knew what you were doing and you're a sinner. Admit and submit. Next phrase is, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Double-minded is to think one way here and then act another way. Do this, do this. He's In the language of the day, it means quit playing games. Admit that you are a sinner. Be honest with yourself. And then he says this, humble yourselves before the Lord. First he says, draw near to God. The way you draw near to God is to humble yourself before the Lord. When Janie and I went to Israel last year, we went to Bethlehem and we got to see all of these caves where David hid out from, from uh, Saul. And then we went to the place where they think that Jesus was born. They don't know for sure, but, but the interesting thing was that there's a door where you have to go and you kind of have to step, but it's, the door is only about this tall. So you do not get into the door to see where Jesus was born unless you stoop, unless you kneel and, and go through the door. Proud people do not get to see Jesus. Proud people don't get adopted into the family of God. Humble people get to see God and get their lives changed. And then check this out. Here's the promise. He says, no, no matter how long you've been away, no matter how far you've gone from God, if you will humble yourself before the Lord, he'll do something incredible. He will lift you up. I don't know any, any other message like this one. That's why I've given my life to telling people that the tomb is empty. And because it is, you can have, you can be reconciled to God. Yes, you're guilty. Yes, you're accountable. But God has offered to give you relationship through Jesus. There's no other way. Do you bow your heads for a moment? On this Resurrection Sunday, some of you have been running from God. You know you've done sin. You know you've done wrong. 
and you've pretended that there isn't a God. You've come up for reasons why you've walked away from the faith. How many of you would say right now, everybody's heads bowed. How many of you would just raise your hand and say, I need to come back to God? Several of you. How many of you would say, I don't even know how to come to God? Anyone? It's through Jesus. It's through the resurrected son of God. If you want to come back to God today, the scripture says, confess your sins. If you confess your sins, he is faithful and just to forgive you of your sins and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. So I would just say it like this. You can pray silently where you are. God, I know I'm a sinner and I do not deserve your love. But you've promised to forgive me if I'll confess. Here I am. Change me and use me for your kingdom. Remember what it says, if you'll take a baby step towards God, he will run towards you. Father, would you um, nail down this day, this resurrection day, as a birthday into the kingdom of God for some people? Or like the prodigal son, for some people, this will be the day they return to you. We love you, God. We thank you for loving us. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.